And this morning we come to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through verse 30. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, listen to the reading of God's holy word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. Besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O Lord God in heaven, we praise You and thank You for Your word. We thank You for its truth that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we look for instruction from Your word, We pray that your spirit would go forth uh, with your word and that as it does, it would find within our own hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for for your glory. Father, we pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, another year has passed and a new year has come. And with the passing of a year, we're reminded that we are now just a bit more closer 
to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we mark this transition, it certainly is a great time to not only look back with gratitude upon all that the Lord has done for us in the year that has passed, but to also look forward with great hope and even a renewed commitment to live more faithfully as we anxiously await the return of Jesus on that last great day. Well, the culmination of all things when Jesus returns at the end of the age has been the focus of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and, and in 20, uh, chapter 25, and of course that we've been going over over the last uh, couple of weeks. Well, Jesus has given His disciples signs to look for that reveal that the end is drawing near, though the end hasn't yet come. He's prophetically spoken of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, an event that would come in the disciples' own lifetime, and which would be a precursor to the judgment to come at the end of the age when Jesus returns in power and glory. And he's also warned about date-setting, and charging that no man knows the day or the hour of his return. Well, then at the end of chapter 24, and now in chapter 25, Jesus has been urging his disciples to not only be looking out and keeping watch, but to also be busy doing the great work that he's called them to do, and that he's called us to do. In the parable of the ten virgins that we considered last time, Jesus focused on the need uh, to be diligent in keeping watch. Well, in the parable of the talents before us this morning, Jesus emphasizes the need to be diligent in the work of the kingdom. Back in chapter 24, verse 45, Jesus asks, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Well, he's been giving a detailed answer in these two parables as there were five wise virgins who were prepared for the Master's return. And here in the parable, in this parable, there are two servants who are faithful in doing the work that the Master entrusted to them. And so as we consider this parable in the context of entering into a new year, let us truly be challenged to be faithful servants who diligently do the Lord's work until He comes. Jesus begins... This parable without much introduction, that he just kind of moves right into it after the the parable of the ten virgins. But note that there's a similar theme in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Just like the bridegroom in the previous uh, parable, the man in this parable is going away for a time. If he's going away, the implication is that he's going to return at some point. And though the bridegroom didn't likely go far, he was separated for a time from the rest of the wedding party. Likewise, the man in this parable is going to a far country, which likely means he's not uh, going to return in the immediate future, but he does plan to return. And just like the bridegroom, the man gives his servants no specific timeline or date as to when he'll return. He'll arrive at some appointed time, and they're not going to know until the day that he actually does arrive. Well, it's clear to see the connections to Jesus and his return at the end of the age. Even though Jesus is with his disciples now, 
We know that the time is soon coming, even in just a few days from this point, when Jesus will go away. First, He'll go away uh, briefly when He dies on the cross and is in the grave for three days. But then he will, and he will then rise again from the dead and be with his disciples for uh, forty days. But then he will go away again, and this time he will go away for a much longer time, a time in which we still find ourselves after Jesus ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Indeed, Jesus has gone off to the farthest country, to heaven. And he will return someday. But again, his return is at a time and a day that hasn't been revealed to us. Also consider this connection with the previous parable. We noted last time that the ten virgins represented the visible church. That is, those who outwardly profess faith in Jesus Christ and who are members of a local visible body of believers. And though we find at the end of that parable that five of those virgins weren't true believers and thus not part of what we call the invisible church. That is, the invisible church is all true believers in Jesus Christ. Well, the same is true in this parable. The servants all belong to the same master. They're all a part of the same household. Yet we'll see not all in the household are true, faithful servants. And like the five foolish virgins who were locked out out of the wedding feast and denied by the bridegroom, so too the lazy, unprofitable servant here will be stripped of what blessing he had and cast out into judgment. And so the visible church is a mixture of true and pretend believers. And so there are goats that are among the sheep. There are tares that are among the wheat. And we'll be looking at uh, that uh, next Lord's Day. Again, we must understand that this is not so that we can now go on a witch hunt and try to root out the unbelievers. No, it's so that we can carefully examine our own hearts. Knowing that one day, on the last great day, when Christ returns, that the truth will be revealed to all. And we see the basis of this accounting given here, that as the Master goes away, before He goes, He bestows gifts to His servants, and when He returns, He says He will require an accounting of those gifts and determine who are the true and faithful servants and who are the lazy impostors. We read, He called His own servants and delivered His goods to them. And to one He gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to His own ability. And immediately He went on a journey. Now a talent is actually a weight as opposed to a mere monetary dollar amount. And so the value of a talent then would vary greatly depending on the region, uh, because different regions had different measurements, uh, and the, the, the different uh, system of weights and measures that were used, as well as whether the talent was of gold or silver or copper, with gold obviously being the most valuable. But when used for currency, a talent would have been of great value. 
And so to receive even just one talent was a very valuable gift. And five talents would really be a sum of great wealth. Thus the man distributes a great deal to his servants. But instead of distributing equally, he uses the standard of to each according to his own ability. In other words, the one who received the five talents was perhaps a servant who was very trustworthy and reliable and had proven to be, uh, to be a good manager of things of great value. And so that's why he receives five. The second servant, still trustworthy and reliable, but perhaps not having as much knowledge, knack, or know-how as the first, he receives two. Now it's important to note that the third third servant still receives a significant sum. And that the master has entrusted him with this talent. And indeed, he was a member of the household and a servant just like the others. And so outwardly, other than the amounts given to them, outwardly there was no difference. But perhaps this one... Maybe he struggled. Maybe he was inconsistent in his attitude and and commitment and performance. Or maybe he was just unproven and untested. And so certainly having this opportunity presented to him to be entrusted with a talent would be an opportunity for this servant to grow and to mature in his abilities. And Because again, a talent, even though it's not as much as five talents, was still a pretty significant sum of money. Well, what's going on here as we apply this to the visible church? Well, the implication is that the servants were to make use of these talents, to put them to work through various investments, so that when the master returned, that he'd be able to collect a return on his money. Now, obviously, since he was going away... The family business, as it were, would be able to carry on and function because his servants were entrusted with these things. But what has the Lord given to the church, even to us, during his absence? Well, truly, he's he's given us everything. For all we have is a good and perfect gift that has come to us from our Heavenly Father's gracious hands. J.C. Ryle has this to say about uh, the talents. He says, indeed, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent that we have received from the Lord. And so all believers are the Lord's servants. And all have received gifts from His gracious hands. Indeed, we've received the gift of grace and faith leading to salvation. And these the Lord expects that we'll make use of and nurture so that they grow. And if we think about the disciples, we know that before Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, He gave His disciples gifts. He gave them two things. First, He entrusted them with the Great Commission, telling them to go forth throughout all the world, preaching the gospel to all creatures. And then, of course, later, about ten days later, He endowed them with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, so that they might then have power to be witnesses to Him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And then from the Holy Spirit, 
Well, they would then receive other various gifts. And some of those gifts would be extraordinary. Like the gift of prophecy. The gift of speaking in tongues. The gift of healing. The gift of being able to drive out and and cast out demons. But there were also more ordinary gifts given to believers at that time and even today. Like administration and helps and teaching. And even the offices of the church are considered to be gifts that Christ has given to the church. And we can also add here the fruits of the Spirit that flow from the Spirit that God gives to us and encourages us to use and to nurture. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all gifts that Christ has given to believers to use and to cultivate during His time away. And like the man in the parable, the Lord in giving these gifts does so according to one's ability, or more importantly, according to God's own good pleasure. Now truly no one has the ability, and certainly no one is deserving of these gifts, But as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, he says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And of course, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the passages where Paul is speaking about uh, the Spirit giving the gifts to the different members, and that they're not all the same, they're different, but they're all to be used for the blessing and the benefit of God's people, the church, and to glorify God. Now this is important to keep in mind. Because even here, as we note in the parable, the one servant got five talents, and another two, and another one. Well, we don't see them squabbling or complaining about who got what. Neither was there any boasting, one over the other. Well, I got more than you. They were servants. And they acknowledged that any gift from the Master was a true undeserved blessing. This was something that the church in Corinth actually failed to realize, right? Because when uh, Paul, that's why he spent so much time talking about spiritual gifts in his first letter, is because they were being divisive about it and complaining, oh, I didn't get this, and and one was lording over the others. Why? My gift is better than yours. Paul says, No. They're all the same. They're, I mean, they're different gifts, but you're to use them all, and they're all important. They're, they all are needed for the blessing and the benefit of, of the church. Well, here the servants seem content with what they've been given. At least we can think perhaps the first two were content. And so they've been given these talents. And indeed, Christ has given us gifts through the Holy Spirit. These gifts can be our talents and abilities, it can be our money, our knowledge, even our health, our strength, our time, and even our privilege of, and the advantages of being members of the church. The fact that we have the Word of God in our own language is a great privilege and a great gift that God has given to us. And as we noted, these things can also be the charges to be witnesses to the gospel to those in the world around us. As Ryle said, anything that gives us opportunity to glorify God is a talent 
given to us by the Lord. And of course, the Lord expects that we would use these gifts for His glory, even leading to a greater magnification of His name. Now, the first two servants, they uh, show such faithfulness. For no sooner had the master left, and these two servants uh, got right to work, investing the talents that the master had given them. And though we don't know how long the master was away, the results were pretty amazing. Both servants doubled the talents that were given to them. The five became ten, and the two became four. Now, in order to bring about such a return, these servants had to be wise and certainly extremely diligent. And this, even though the money given to them wasn't their own, but it still belonged to the master, as did the returns. What a great picture and indeed a challenge for us. As we consider the great gifts and the blessings that the Lord has bestowed upon us. Are we striving to be so faithful? Are we diligent to use our gifts, our time, talents, and treasures to bring great glory to God? For this is what we're to be doing until Christ returns. The more we make use of the gifts that God has given us, the more they abound to further magnify His name. And so, for example, if we act kindly... Well, we encourage others to act kindly. If we love one another, we encourage others to love. If we sow seeds of the gospel, well, we know that those seeds will, as God appoints, will bear fruit leading to the salvation of many sinners who will then be faithful to go and to sow more seeds of the gospel. And through it all, we know that God will be glorified. Now, note that this isn't the idea that's proposed by the false prosperity gospel, which deceives people by saying if they plant their seed money, they will become rich. No, it's not, God's not saying that at all. The parable doesn't teach that at all. You see, these servants, they didn't become rich. They were still servants. The, great, the greater wealth that they accumulated belonged to the Master. See, it wasn't for their own selfish gain. Well, so too the spiritual investments that we make with our gifts and talents. They do bring a return. But it's a return not for us. But it's for the Lord and for His glory. Now, truly, it's true. Well, we do benefit from that. But we don't use our gifts in order to advance our own Uh, comfort. We use our gifts to glorify God first and foremost. And that should truly be our focus. But when we come to the third servant, we see that there's no diligence and no faithfulness. Instead of investing the talent that he was given, he he buries it. That is, he covers it over and he hides it and he, he doesn't use it at all. Now we might say, well on the good part... At least he didn't go and spend it on himself. Well, that's good. And he didn't lose it. That's good too. But the master gave this gift to him, gave this talent to him, so that he would make use of it. And yet he did nothing. 
he disobeyed and refused. And even with the way that he treated it, we might even say that he despised the gift that was given to him. Now maybe, maybe he was jealous that the others got more than he did. Maybe he wanted gold instead of copper. Maybe he was upset because the master didn't think he could handle more. Or as the master later indicates, maybe he was just lazy and unprofitable because he was given much and he did nothing with it. Besides, the master had now been gone a long time. And the servant may wonder, well, perhaps something happened to him. You know, maybe he lied. Maybe he's not coming back. In fact, why, why should I go and do all this work and, and put in all this effort when he may never return? And even if he does return, it's not like I'm going to receive any of the returns on this investment. And if I do try to invest it, what happens if I lose it? Well, then the, t- the master will still require it from me. So you know what? It's just better. It's not even worth it. It's just better not to do anything with it. I'm just going to bury it, put it in the ground, and I'll give it back to him if he ends up coming back. Remember, this pictures one in the visible church. One who professes faith in Christ. And yet they bear no fruit despite all the privilege that they've been given and the abundance of gifts that the Lord has bestowed upon His people. This one would be like those in Corinth who complained that they didn't have the more showy spiritual gifts. And so they refused to use what they had been given in service to Christ and in the church. Or even like those in Thessalonica who grew lazy as they anticipated the return of Christ and so they simply stopped working. They didn't do anything, let alone use their gifts. It's the one who believes the gifts that they have are of little value and worth. Or it's the hypocrite who though they profess faith refuses to live their lives to the Lord and for His glory. Instead of using their gift for the Lord, they stifle it and they seek to live for themselves and their own glory. Now we remember that faith itself is a gift. And yet that gift must be nurtured through the means of grace, uh, through attending worship, through spending time in God's Word, through prayer and making use of the sacraments. And the Lord wants our faith to grow and He wants our faith to bear fruit. But the one who buries their faith bears no fruit. And as the Apostle James charges in his letter, faith without works is dead faith, or is, is dead. And, and of course we know that a dead faith is really no faith at all. And so this is what's pictured by this unprofitable servant, one who has dead faith, who doesn't use the gifts that God has given them. But as Jesus continues the parable in verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
the master returned. And not only had he returned, but he was ready to settle the accounts. That is, he would call the servants to himself and see how they used their talents. Were they profitable? Did they put forth any effort? Did they manage wisely? Did they have the interests of their master in mind first and foremost? Brothers and sisters, what an important reminder for us. For there is a day coming when Christ Jesus will return and He will call all to Himself so that each one may give account for how He lived, what we said and what we did and what we thought and how we use the blessings, the gifts, the opportunities that the Lord has graciously given to us. Paul says in Romans 14 verse 12, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account to Him. And those sincere believers, we know, will be spared from judgment and condemnation because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We must still give account for how we use the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given. Have we been faithful with how much or how little He has given to us? Have we cultivated our spiritual gifts and graces so that love flowed from us and bounded even more to others? Have we been faithful to share the gospel at the times and opportunities that we were given? Have we stood firm in faith and pressed on in doing the Lord's will even when it wasn't popular or when it led to us being scorned and even persecuted by others? Have we been faithful to pray for one another, to give generously, to minister to the poor and needy? Have we forsaken sin and resisted temptation? Have we glorified the Lord with all that we have and everything that He has given us? Truly, we must give account of these things before Christ on that last great day. What will we have to show Him? What will He say to us? When we meet him face to face. Well, Jesus shows us in the parable. The first servant who who was given five talents approaches the master with an additional five talents and says simply, you gave me five and look, I've gained five more. Now, there's no reason to suspect boasting or pride here. He's simply giving account to the master of how he used the talents that were given him. And the master was well pleased. Verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. The servant was faithful. And the master gave him a great reward of further blessings and great joy. Well, when the second servant, who was given two talents, appears before the master, he reports his gain. I have gained two more talents besides them. Well, the master gives this very same reply as he gave the the first. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Now consider these things about the reward bestowed on these two servants. First, even though they were given different sums of money, 
they both achieved a 100% return. And that's very good. And so they both received the very same commendation and reward from the Master. That is a great reminder to us. Because though we acknowledge some are given greater talents, greater gifts, responsibilities, and opportunities in this life, the Lord will be looking for faithfulness. So you don't need to be jealous of others and the gifts that they have. You don't need to look down upon others because you've been given more than what they have. Now the question you'll have to answer is, what have you done with what you've been given? He's looking for faithfulness. And we can be confident that the reward will be the same. What is the reward? Well, there are two parts here. Jesus says that he will be a ruler over many things. Well, that's a picture of great honor bestowed on the faithful one who uses the talents the Lord has given and produces much fruit. So they will be greatly honored. But along with this great honor, we'll be entering into the joy of our Lord and Savior. And think about that. It's an abounding, overflowing, eternal, everlasting joy beyond what we could even possibly imagine. This will be the reward for the good and faithful servant. Great honor and everlasting joy beyond comprehension. But what of the third servant who was given one talent and and buried it? What happens to him? Well, suddenly the scene becomes tense. As the servant comes in and he levels an accusation right away. He doesn't even talk about the talents. He just comes in accusing the master. Verse 24, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. So you know what? I buried the talent. And look, here it is. You have what is yours. Basically, he was charging the master with being cruel and dishonest. But we quickly see that this is a false charge. For the servant truly believed that the master was harsh, and if he was truly afraid of him, well, then you'd think that would have encouraged him all the more to to work more diligently so as not to displease the master. But the master was neither cruel nor dishonest. Indeed, he was generous, and he was very trusting. He even gave this servant a large sum of money to handle. And so the accusation falls flat. And the master sees right through the charade that this this servant was wicked and lazy. He was unprofitable, wasting the time and the talent that he was given. And at the very least, the master suggests, if you were going to be lazy and do nothing, well, the least you could have done was invest the money with the bankers so that I would have received the interest. But the lazy, unproductive servant couldn't even bring himself to do that. And then comes his reward. The master charges that the one talent that he had be taken away uh, from him and given to the one who had ten. And then this unprofitable servant was cast out into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of isolation and great sorrow 
pain, and misery. That will be his end. And even though this servant was once in the household of the master, that when the master returns and discovers that he wasn't a truly committed servant, that servant is cast out. Friends, the picture of coming judgment for the hypocrite, for the faith pretender, and for the one who neglects the gifts that the Lord has given ought to be very clear to you. Well, Jesus then summarizes the parable with this lesson in verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The faithful servant of the Lord will be richly blessed in great abundance beyond, again, what we could possibly imagine. But the one who makes no use of his faith and the opportunities and the blessings that the Lord has given. Indeed, the one who refuses to glorify God in all that he does will be cast into hell while there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Beloved of God, how will you then use the gifts and the talents that the Lord has graciously given you? How will you use the privileges and the opportunities that you've been given to further the kingdom? For that day, the last great day, when we all must give account, is surely coming. What will the Lord Jesus Christ say to you? Will you be cast out? As an unprofitable servant? Or will he say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Truly by the grace of God, may it be this for you, for your good, and for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks as we're reminded of the many, many blessings that you have given us. How you have provided for us our time, talents, treasures, health. You've given us gifts and abilities that we are to use in service to you. That we're to use to build up and to bless the church. That we're to use to glorify your name in all that we do. Father, we pray that we acknowledge, first of all, that we don't deserve these, these gifts at all. Because of our sin and our natural rebellion against you. And yet you've been gracious to us. And you've blessed us with these things. And so we pray that you would continue to sustain us with your grace and enabling us to use the gifts which you have given to further advance your kingdom and to further glorify your holy name. And Father, we pray that you, we know, you know already who the unprofitable servants are. And we would ask, Lord, that we would not be caught up trying to seek those out. But that we would be diligent to examine our own hearts. 
so that we can be sure that on that last great day, we would not be found to be the unprofitable servant, but that we would be the good and faithful servants and that we would be given that honor You have promised and that we would enter into Your everlasting joy forever and ever and ever. Father, even as we enter into this new year and as we renew our commitment to serve You and and glorify You on this day, we ask that You would truly help us to be mindful of these things, to strengthen us in our service to You, and that truly all that You have given to us, we would return to You in great abundance because you have given us the grace to be faithful. And we've used those gifts to glorify your name. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.